All right. Well, good morning, everybody, and happy new year to you. Uh, welcome everyone who is watching and following along with this edition of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call interview series. As always, uh, just as in 2022, just like now, I'm Will Driscoll, the executive director of the Hall of Fame, and I'm once again thrilled to be bringing you this content platform, Hall Call. Uh, before we get started, as always, I'd like to thank our Hall Call and Hall of Fame partners, Priority Automotive, Dabcon Inc., Optima Health, White Claw Hard Seltzer, City of Virginia Beach, ESPN Radio 94.1, Hamilton's Realty, and Davis Business Appraisers. We are able to bring you programs like Hall Call because of their support. Well, today on Hall Call, we're going to talk just a little bit of baseball. Actually, that's a lie. We're going to talk a lot of baseball. Uh, it's no secret that the Commonwealth of Virginia has produced its fair share of top-level Major League Baseball talent over the years, but the game and its connection to Virginia is much deeper than just a handful of All-Stars and World Series champions. Author David Driver, uh, pictured on your screen, set out to highlight that connection with his new book, From Tidewater to the Shenandoah, Snapshots from Virginia's Rich Baseball Legacy. The book, co-authored with Lacey Lusk, explores the long history of baseball in Virginia, which began well before the game was considered the national pastime. Driver, a Harrisonburg native and Eastern Mennonite University graduate, has been covering and writing about sports for almost four decades now, and most recently covered the Washington Nationals for the Washington Times and the Sports Exchange. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today on Hall Call. Thanks a lot, Will. Um, really appreciate it. Happy New Year. And, and on behalf of Lacey, thank you for uh, having us on. Absolutely. And I, I have the book here. It's probably getting lost there in the background, but I've read the book. It's a great book. Uh, you can follow David on Twitter at Dayton VA Driver, all one word. And again, the book is available uh, wherever books are sold. It's called From Tidewater to the Shenandoah, Snapshots from Virginia's Rich Baseball Legacy. Um, let's get started with this. Like I said, I've read the book. There's There are 92 chapters or short profiles in the book itself, but well over 100 names are listed or profiled that have some sort of connection to, to baseball in Virginia. Where did you start once you got the idea for this book? How, how do you get this process started? Yeah, well, th that's a great question, Will. Um, and and, and right, right off the top of the bat, we know that there's people we, we left out. Um, I think there's about 400 natives of Virginia who have made the major league. So you could have a book on just that. You could have a book on just the Valley League. You could have a book on the Coastal Plains League. Uh, you could have a book on players from the 757, as you know. So, but yeah, so I think our, we had two goals, Will. Um, I think one was to represent the entire state of Virginia the best we could, um, and also to represent as many levels as we could. So we focused on high school, college, Division One and Division Three, really good Division Three programs in Virginia, and then of course the minor leagues and major leagues. And of course, as as you know, there were five minor league affiliates now in Virginia this past year. Unfortunately, there used to be a lot more. Um, and of course, the Appalachian League has has suffered in that regard. So those were our two main goals. Will was to represent as much of the state as we could, and as many levels as we could. Um, you know, we didn't go as far down to Little League. I mean, I talked a little bit about the Little League program I grew up in near Harrisonburg. Um, talked a little bit about the Little League programs in Northern Virginia, but we didn't want to. You know, that would have been hard to try to touch base on little league programs around the state. So that's kind of was our focus was the minor leagues, major leagues, high school and college. 
You know, that that's that kind of brings me to my next point. You, you may have already answered this, but I, I just want you to expand on it a little bit more. Y using the six degrees of separation rule, this book could have gone on forever. It could have become an encyclopedia. Where was the line drawn for the purposes of this book? So I, I had originally the idea of 90 chapters. You know, nine is a good number. Three is a good number in baseball. So I was kind of thinking 90 chapters. Thought that might make a good... Um, good parameter. Um, I worked with a really good person uh, in the publication business. Um, he's worked with authors, self-publishing like Lacey and myself, and he said 350 pages was was a really good ballpark, uh, pardon the pun, to shoot for. So it ended up we had 350 pages um, with lots of really good color. And, and just a, a shout out to Russ. He did a a great job. It was to work with him. So um, you're right. It could go on forever. The nice thing about this is, and we will see what happens, but we can uh, we can do an, a, a different edition each you want to without too much. You know, we can add chapters as we go um, if we want to. And, and we're thinking about that. So but yeah, great question. Where where do you stop? But we wanted to represent, you know, looking back, maybe it would have been nice to say had um 20 chapters from all six regions to be a little bit more fair. We didn't do that. I obviously have a bias since, since I grew up in the Shenandoah Valley. I worked for the Harrisonburg paper right out of college in the 80s. And then I just finished up about two years as a sports editor. So Lacey and I, in some ways, this book is from 2022, but it's also for both of us, 30 years worth of stories we've collected in our careers. Well, and like you said, it is a it is an evolving um, it's 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 a living it's a living piece of literature because there's going to continue to be people that that continue to move up through the ranks and make it to the majors. I mean, we we here at the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, you know, going into this year, we had 33 inductees. After this year, we'll have 34 because Ryan Zimmerman is uh, is going to be inducted this coming April. So it is that moving it's that evolving piece of literature, but. One of the things that really struck me most about reading the book is I'm a I'm a southeastern Virginia Hampton Roads Tidewater native, whatever you want to call it, seven five seven here in Norfolk, and so I, I'm very connected to the names that have come from this region. But it's the small towns and the the very small municipalities out in the southwest, the coal fields up in the valley that have produced major league level talent. At, is that something that that stuck out to you or just because you're from that area, you knew about a lot of these names uh, before even writing this book? Yeah, a, a little bit of both, Will. Um, you know, again, I, I grew up in, in Dayton, which is right outside of Harrisonburg. Um, you know, the Harrisonburg area has is home to the Valley League, which is one of the oldest college leagues in the country. It used to be a minor league back in the 1940s. And then the Rockingham County League has been around since 1924. Um, they missed a couple seasons during World War II, but that's the second oldest baseball league in the country after Major League Baseball. I'm not sure a lot of people know about that. So, you know, also one thing I learned a couple of years ago is Route 340 is a really small road that runs north-south through parts in the Shenandoah Valley and uh, through the Harrisonburg area. And I realized a couple of years ago, every one of these little towns along the way had produced a major league player. Now they're not famous players. Um, you know, Reggie Harris from Waynesboro, um, Garland Shiflett is the only native of Elkton, Virginia to make the major league. So, so I was aware of some of this, but I learned like you will, I learned a lot as well about when we were working on this book about more about Southwest Virginia, especially. 
Well, give us a little bit of an insight into into a couple of those leagues that you mentioned. You mentioned the Rockingham County and the Valley Baseball Leagues. You know what we know the Cape Cod League. We know the Alaska Baseball League. These are the the, the summer wooden bat leagues where Hall of Famers have played in. But how would these two leagues compare to those leagues? And and what's the importance to the culture in baseball in Virginia of those leagues? Great, that, that's a great question. I, I feel somewhat um, uh, honored to answer that question. Um, I grew up going to Harrisonburg Turk games in the 1970s with my father. Um, we lived just a few miles away. So I got to watch Billy Sample play. Um, he went to JMU, went on to have a good career with the Texas Rangers. Um, Steve Swisher was a catcher for the Turks. Ron Hodges, who's from Rocky Mount, went on to catch for the Mets. I know this is dating myself a little bit. Um, but um, so I was watching Valley League games when I was a kid. Um, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think most baseball people, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, the Valley League was right up there with the Cape Cod League. And um, I'm not not breaking any stories here. In terms of talent, the Valley League is not where the Cape Cod League is now. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And we can go into that if you want. But there's a lot more leagues available. A lot of the talent is spread out. Um, so the Rockingham County League, um, obviously most of the teams are in Rockingham County, which surrounds Harrisonburg. Um, again, I grew up on it. I mean, um, you know, going there as a kid and then getting a chance to play in the early 80s with Clover Hill, which is one of the, the better teams. Um, you know, I was a Division Three player. That's that's That was my where I topped out. But I got to play against former JMU players who had pitched in the minors um, so that was, you know, that was the highest level I ever got to play at. And I got a chance to go back to Clover Hill this summer for the book a couple times. And just the atmosphere, a lot of the old time fans say the atmosphere there is back to like it used to be. Um, people park their pickup trucks behind the outfield fence and then they can watch from the from the gate or tailgate of their truck. So just a great atmosphere. Former JMU minor league pitchers um, are back in the league. So those those two leagues um, are distinctive, and I think they rely on the community. I mean, the Valley League relies on host families um, to house these players in the summer. So that that gives you more of a community feel. And then the Rockingham County League, most of the players are from the area, so they live at their home in the summer. But um, I think, like you said, that, that community aspect, the small town, I think is what makes Virginia a little bit more distinctive maybe than some other states. What sort of experiences do the players, both past and present, uh, there's plenty of stories in the book about this, but from your perspective, what, what sort of experience do they gain from playing in these leagues, both personally and professionally? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out a name. Uh, uh, a really notable family here in the Harrisonburg area is the Bocock family. Um, many generations of players that played at Turner Ashby. Brian uh, made the major leagues as a shortstop for the Giants and Phillies about 10 years ago. Um, but Tyler Bocock um, played at Stetson Division One, played at Turner Ashby in high school. He didn't play in the minors, but I talked to him this summer. He's now played in the county league for something like, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, and he's even coaching high school baseball in Sarasota, Florida. He comes home for the summer just to play in the county league. I mean, that's one, you know, he has a family, but that's one of the main reasons he comes back to the Shenandoah Valley to play in the county league because he likes playing. Spanish. So um, that that stood out to me is, you know, some of these guys played Division One. Some of them might have played in the minor. A lot of them played Division Three. 
and, and like it might be the highest level they ever play at. But that community feel, getting to play with your friends that you grew up with, that's a big part of it. So, you know, that that that's really good insight, especially for, like I said, somebody who's who's from the coastal region, you know, learning about how how far out into the state, which, you know, is, is a fairly large state geographically, like where these connections are, where you can find baseball. And uh, and it sounds like some road trips might be might be in our future. Uh, but so that that's talking about some leagues that are still currently in play. Another part of the book that was uh, that was really interesting, and there were some facts and, and names that I learned for the first time, was when you talked about some of the Negro Leagues and the history of the Negro Leagues here in Virginia. Uh, you know, you mentioned a few of our inductees, Raymond Dandridge, Leon Day, uh, but there but there was a, a much deeper connection uh, to the state of Virginia with the Negro Leagues than even I knew. Um, how important was the game of baseball to Black communities uh, decades ago? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll give, you know, I, I, I'm glad we have a good chunk in there. We certainly could have done more. Um, there is a book um, that came out about 10 or 20 years ago by Mr. Howard from Charlottesville. If you look it up, it's about Black baseball in Virginia. I did mention it briefly in our book. Um, I had a chance to do, I, I was really interested in the Negro Leagues in the 1990s and um, when I was a member of Sabre and uh, haven't had a chance to do much with it recently, but um, Spotswood Poles is one name I'll throw out there. Uh, he was born in Winchester and back in the 1910, 1920s, uh, he was a great outfielder and some consider him the black Ty Cobb. He's not in the Hall of Fame. He he might be, he probably should be. Um, but yeah, um, you mentioned Leon Day, born in Alexandria, grew up in Baltimore. Lacey and I got to meet his widow this summer at a book signing. So that was a real thrill. She lives in the Baltimore area. Um, Ray Dandridge, as you know, um, born and raised in Richmond, maybe one of the best third basemen of all time. But in doing the research for the book, um, and we have this on the back cover, you know, uh, of the five Virginia natives to make the Hall of Fame, um, four of them played in the Negro Leagues, and three of them had connections to the Culpeper area. Um, Epirixi, who was who was white, he was born in Culpeper, but then um, I'm looking at Judd Wilson and Pete Hill were both born in the Culpeper Falkir area. So three of the five. Virginia natives who made the Hall of Fame have ties to Culpeper, which is kind of interesting, I thought. So, yeah, a very, a very small town uh, to have mm -hmm. that sort of connection. That That's really where, you know, we rely on um, books and just storytelling like that to be able to to be able to teach us things uh, like that. When as you as you learned more about the Negro Leagues and some of the players that from Virginia that participated in the Negro Leagues or played in the Negro Leagues, Overall, what's the legacy of the Negro Leagues here in Virginia, comparatively speaking to to other states? Well, one thing that that was um, during my time as a sports editor, say from uh, the fall of 2019 to about two years later, during that time, um, Major League Baseball started to officially recognize the Negro League statistics. That was a huge event. So I got to write a little a column about that for the Harrisonburg paper when that happened about two years ago. And through that, um, I had a Negro League encyclopedia from the 1990s that the Society of American Baseball Research put out. And I went back and looked at that. And they have it's a really it's really one of the best works um, on the subject. And it listed a lot of the Virginia natives. So I was able to mention some of them in that column and that and we revised that. And, and that chapter is in is in the book. So 
we have features on Dandridge and Leon Day and spots with polls, but then we also mentioned some of the other players that maybe, you know, are not Hall of Fame caliber or maybe even people have heard of, but um, there it is interesting um, just how many Virginia natives did play in the Negro Leagues, um, and a lot of them obviously were really, really good. Yeah, de definitely a good piece of history, and uh, I, I recommend anybody to do a little bit more deep dives on your own uh, because it, it is a unique part of history. And, and now that Major League Baseball is recognizing the statistics, uh, some of these names may even pop further and further up uh, up some of the statistical categories. I'm kind of taking a, a small shift uh, to something else that kind of bridges the past to the future, to the current, and then the into the future are the minor leagues in Virginia. The minor leagues here in Virginia, obviously, we don't have the top level professional teams here in the state, but we do have minor leagues, and they've been around uh, in many of our communities for many, many years. However, there's been a bit of a shift over the past couple of years. Some of it COVID related. Some of these things were probably already in play uh, before COVID, where there's been a, a, con a condensing of the minor leagues. Um, while many communities have been able to keep their teams, Norfolk, Richmond, Salem, uh, Lynchburg, Fredericksburg, uh, many have not. Um, as you put together this book and you started talking to a lot of people from these communities, what did losing some of those teams and some of these communities uh, mean to those areas? Great, great question and an important topic as well, Will. Um, I, I do have regrets on this book. I wish we could have got to Southwest Virginia on site a little bit more than we did. I got to Blacksburg for the Super Regional, so I was glad for that. But again, while I was in Harrisonburg, there was the uh, contraction of the minor leagues, and the biggest hits were the New York Penn League and the Appalachian League. And I was able to talk to several players um, who had played in one or both of those leagues. And, and again, those are starting points for a lot of people's pro careers. Um, I, you know, I grew up uh, at being part of the Turner Ashby program and, and Alan nicely, um, 1974 grad was drafted highly by the Astros. He started his minor league career in Covington system. Um, I remember driving by there. I, you know, so I talked to a lot of players who started out in the Appalachian league and, and, um, the Washington post did a really good story on this, just the economic hit that these towns took with the loss of, of pro baseball. And, um, you know, it's controversial. And, you know, I, I don't think any of us would want to see um, a town lose baseball. I mean, they're seasonal jobs. Some people rely on those jobs to be ticket takers, concessions. Um, but, you know, really, some, there is a chapter in the book on people who began in the Appalachian League. Uh, some really funny stories. Um, you know, two or three guys crammed into a room and one guy told a story about a pigeon on the roof and <laughs> pigeon droppings. That might have been the New York Penn League. But um, yeah, I, Lacey, um, Lacey, who did a, you know, I have to shout out to him. Lacey um, worked for the paper in Martinsville and Culpeper. Um, he has roots in, in southwest, uh, southwest, western Virginia. And um, so he's been down there more than I have. Um, Brian O'Connor, uh, the, the coach at Virginia, Lacey got to see him make his pro debut down in the Appalachian League. So um, we did cut, like I said, we could have a book on the Appalachian League, um, you know, easily. So I'm sure we we might have missed some things, but I am glad that we were able to talk to five or 10 players that, that started out in the Appalachian League. 
you know, you, you look at the minor league uh, teams that we have here in Virginia, both currently and in the past, and you look at what their affiliates are, the Richmond Braves and the Danville Braves from, from years past, right. some of the yep. players that came through those systems. And then there were connections to the Yankees. The Tides, while they're the Orioles now, they were the Mets in the 80s with those right. great players right. all coming through Norfolk. Um, yeah. And that was out in Lynchburg. I think I think Lynchburg, uh, it was Lynchburg Mets, then to Norfolk and then up to the big club. It, how is it to go through this process and see all of the names of all of these other all-stars while they weren't born in Virginia, they may have had some of their best formative years in baseball here in the state. Yeah, sure. I mean, like you said, I mean, the, uh, you know, the, that, that Tidewater Mets team led to the Mets, New York Mets, 1986 world series championship team. Um, the history of Richmond with the Yankees is pretty amazing. I, I, I did go to Lynchburg uh, this season and saw the Salem Red Sox play at Lynchburg in the minor leagues and um, talked to the Lynchburg, or talked to both managers for this book. Um, remember talking to the Lynchburg manager and he had no connections to Virginia at all, but he, you know, back to the back to what do they call it? Back to season banquet. He talked to some old time fans in Lynchburg who were members you know, Daryl Strawberry and Doc Good. I mean, the stories about Doc Gooden pitching for Lynchburg are legendary. So this manager was hearing stories from old time fans about getting to see Gooden and Strawberry. Um, so, yeah, that I mean, again, you could do a book on just the minor leagues in Virginia. Um, you know, Lynchburg, I, I'm curious to see this year with Lynchburg is high A for Cleveland. We could see Chase DeLauder of JMU make his uh, pro debut first round draft pick. Um, good year for Virginia. Gavin Cross from Virginia Tech was also a first round pick. So uh, a lot of interesting things happened in 2022. Of course, Fredericksburg has a nice new ballpark um, to, with, the you know, hosting the Nats farm team. So I was able to get down there. So, yeah, we don't have as many minor league affiliates as we used to, but but the ones that are left play a prominent role. I mean, the Giants won three World Series championships with Richmond as an affiliate. So that, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, the the uh, the Orioles are primed to take a next step with plenty of former Tides on the team right now. So there's there's always something. Well, like I said, we don't have that top level professional team. There's always a rooting interest for people in Virginia with the teams that we do have. Um, I mean, even the Red Sox, you know, they've had all their success with Salem. A lot of those guys started sure. down in Salem and worked their way up to the big club. Uh, one of the facts that really stuck out to me, though, as a Norfolk native, and, and again, I, I love this book because I'm a, I'm a baseball junkie, but I learned so much just through all of these stories, is that professional baseball in Norfolk dates back to 1896. Is Norfolk's connection to the game that well-known throughout the state? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there is, there is a small book that came out about the history of Norfolk and Richmond um, about 10 years ago. So if people want to Google that. Um, that, that was the one thing, um, and we we stayed away from using the word history. Um, I didn't want to write about the history of baseball in Virginia. I mean, there is a lot of people have said this is a history. There is history here, and there certainly is. Um, and I wanted it to be more about people. And, and certainly, you would have found good stories if you delve into the history of baseball in Richmond or Norfolk. Um, but I really wanted to make it um, people centric. And I've had people say, "Hey, I can pick up the book." And just thumb through it and if I, you know, read this chapter here, read this chapter there. So it's not a straight narrative. I mean, there certainly is a reason that you could do that, but um, I wanted to throw some some history in there. And we did, you know, I did find that 
tidbit that you mentioned about Norfolk and we have similar things for Richmond as well. Again, everybody who's, who's watching and following along, we're, uh, we're talking with David Driver, author, co-author of uh, From Tidewater to the Shenandoah, Snapshots from Virginia's Rich Baseball Legacy. Um, had a good conversation so far, but another thing that really stuck out to me in the book was the female baseball connections to baseball in Virginia. Um, obviously, that's not that's not something that I guess comes across the radar every single day. But you mentioned names like Amanda Sarver, Sam. Is it Jormand or, or Jormand? Jormand. Yeah. Jormand. Okay. And yeah. uh, and Julie Croteau, just to name a few. Um, where is Virginia in comparison to other states in in having opportunities available to females in the game of baseball? As as you even mentioned in the book, the Miami Marlins now have a female president and general manager. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I feel really good about that. Um, certainly, again, we could have had a lot more. I was glad we have the chapters. And again, that was a lot of that was from my time as a sports editor in Harrisonburg a couple of years ago um, when Kim was named the general manager of, of the Marlins, got a hold of Amanda, who went to Harrisonburg High and JMU. Um, and she was, you know, she looked up to Kim as a role model. Um, Sam uh, just uh, finished up at JMU as a student manager. And uh, she's now with the Col uh, College of Charleston on their coaching staff. So we've got really, in terms of pioneers for, for women in baseball, um, you mentioned Julie from Manassas Park, first woman to play NCAA baseball back in the 1990s with St. Mary's of Maryland. She's had a, a good career in academics at Stanford. Um, and then Sam, uh, this year, uh, she went to Madison High in Vienna, which is a baseball power. We talk a lot about that. Um, her father has won three state titles at Madison High. Um, I've got to know him over the past year. So um, she grew up in a baseball family. This past summer, she is believed to be the first woman to ever go out on the recruiting trail for a Division I program at College of Charleston, and uh, which obviously is a former rival of JMU. So, um, so yeah. And then I just learned um, Lacey and I were lucky enough to be at the Virginia Baseball uh, Coaches Convention in Fairfax a couple of weeks ago to sign the book and sell the book. And what a wonderful opportunity. They, they asked me to speak, which was an honor. Um, it turns out that, um, you know, just Marlon Eikenberry was is the coach at JMU. He told me that when he was at William & Mary, he hired um, Monica Pence Barlow when she, to be on staff there to play a role at William & Mary. She eventually became the public relations director of the Baltimore Orioles. She grew up in the Harrisonburg area. Um, unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago from lung cancer. But um, so from that convention, I mean, yeah, Virginia certainly is right up there with uh, opportunities for women, on, you know, not so much on the field. We are seeing more women coaches in the minor leagues and major leagues. Um, that hasn't happened yet for a Virginia native that I know of, but it's happening in other areas, scouting, communications, social media, things like that. We actually have a, a question from the stream. Um, so they're, they're saying which position, which I don't know if a playing position is in the cards, but we can answer that question hypothetically. But which position can a female make in Major League Baseball first? We obviously know Kim, Kim Ang is the general manager and president, but what about on field? Are there do you see a time where there could be a coach or or even a player uh, on the field in Major League Baseball? Well, the, I believe the San Francisco Giants do have a coach. Um, there are some women at the Major League level. Um, in terms of playing, if they're if they're asking about playing, we have seen some pitchers uh, in the last, you know, 10, 20 years that have been pitchers in the minor leagues. Sometimes they're maybe a lefty or they throw a knuckleball. 
Um, but I, I think um, in terms of on the, you know, uniform on the field, everything's open, anything. Um, yeah. First base coach, third base coach, uh, the Yankees have, the Yankees have a, a woman who was a full season affiliate manager this year. So um, I think the, the, the doors are wide open. Great. Well, that, that question was from our friend Patrick Montgomery, who we actually talked to a few months ago uh, yes. on this program, uh, the, the author of The Splendid Six in Townie Townsend. Um, you know, we got, a, we got a few more questions here before we wrap up. But, you know, we baseball fans know the names that that have great success in Major League Baseball. And obviously, being the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, we, we highlight, we celebrate them, the Michael Kadires, David Wrights, Justin Verlanders, Ryan Zimmermans of the world. But the stories that really stuck out to me and there were plenty of them in this book, were about the baseball lifers, you know, the, the people that the, the game is just ingrained in, in their blood. And there was a story uh, of a player named Nick Wells uh, later on in the book. And Nick was drafted. He played in the minor leagues. But now he finds himself in the independent leagues. And a quote that he said really stuck out to me. And he said, in speaking about the independent leagues, he said, everyone is here for the same reason. What reason is that? They, they just love the game. Boy, you really picked out a good one there. I mean, yeah, again, not a high prospect, not a high draft pick. Um, I had to go outside of the state to see him in Maryland uh, in the in the Atlantic League. But, um, you know, I, I have been able to cover the Atlantic, the independent leagues a little bit. Um, and you're right. These guys are not getting paid very much at all. If they wanted to make some money, they could go to Taiwan or Japan. Um, but they stay closer to home for a, a various amount of reasons, but yeah, the, the independent league guys I've talked to for the book or, or other sources. I mean, that's, that's the number one reason they just want to play. They want to play as long as they can. There's only, you know, athletes were seeing this. We saw that Monday night with Monday night football, they only have so many years to play. Um, baseball players have a longer shelf life than NFL running backs. Um, pitchers can, you know, go and play in the independent league. So you're, you're right. The love of the game. I mean, it sounds corny, sounds cliched, right? But it, it's really true. Well, no, it, and it, it was apparent in, in a lot of the stories, it was players who were drafted, players who were potentially high prospects, but it's getting to the major leagues is not easy, but they still want to find a way to stay in the game, whether it's going into the independent leagues or getting back into coaching at a young age too. There were a lot of stories like that. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if you were going to ask this question, but I think two of the more inspiring stories um, have a connection to that as well. Um, Josh Tutwiler, who played at ODU and coached at VCU, um, he's from the Harrisburg area. Um, he, he had a near tragic fall about 10 years ago out in the Midwest, and so we have his story. I want to credit the Daily Press. They ran a story 10 years ago. I came across his story a couple of years ago, so I talked to him. And then another story that resonates, has connections to the 757, is Tyler Zombro, um, a pitcher from Stanton who's in the Rays system. He was hit by a line drive, as you probably know, while playing the Tides in, in 2021, and he returned to the mound this year for AAA Durham. So um, there are some inspiring stories in the book, not because we wrote them, but just because of the narrative of some of these people, what they've overcome. And again, like you said, they want to stay in the game. And so they've come back from adversity to be able to do that. Just got a couple uh, questions left for you, but 
you know, with our minor league teams still having the, the presence of five teams here and, and a couple independent and plenty of independent league teams, and but also the growing success of our collegiate programs. You look at what Virginia Tech has done, Old Dominion here in Norfolk, University of Virginia, uh, JMU's had some had plenty of success as well. How far does the reach of baseball in Virginia spread? Yeah, great question. I don't know if I'll be able to answer it as well as I should, but I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned the colleges. Um, you know, we all know what Brian O'Connor has done at Virginia. We we know now Virginia Tech had an historic season. Um, ODU is uh, has been solid for decades. Um, you can go on and on. I mean, um, you know, we're we're kind of right there, at, you know, at the border of the the Sun Belt, literally not the Sun Belt Conference, but the Sun Belt. So obviously. And, and Lacey's talked about this, my co-author, when he's done interviews, you know, everybody looks at Florida, Texas, California. And so Virginia's never going to have the numbers that they do of major league players. But when you have, um, you know, more than 10 Division One programs in Virginia, and I think it goes through cycles. I mean, we know about the Splendid Six and that incredible class. We may not see that again, but the high draft picks, but I think it goes in cycles. Um, like I said, we had, Virginia had two first round picks this year from Virginia Tech and JMU. I mean, that doesn't happen every year as well. And I, I certainly mentioned colleges. I, I want to mention the Division Three. I'm biased. I played I, I'm, at I'm glad Minnesota. you did because I was, yeah. was going to say I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that. Yeah. I mean, again, um, you know, Shenandoah up in Winchester, a great program under Kevin Anderson. Randolph Macon in Ashland has been great for decades. And uh, Ray was their coach, was at the conference a couple weeks ago. Um, Lynchburg made the tournament um, this year. And I think what Christopher Newport, um, Virginia Wesleyan down in, in, in the 757. So um, a lot of people feel, I've heard a lot of coaches say this, they feel like the Old Dominion Athletic Conference is one of the best Division Three baseball co conferences in the country. Um, I, I can't speak to that. I haven't seen Division Three at other areas, uh, at least certainly outside the East Coast, but um, it's really good. You know, Salisbury's in Maryland, but they've got a lot of Virginia players. Catholic University um, made the World Series with like eight Virginia residents on their team. So it goes on and on. So, um, yeah, great, a great state for college baseball as well. Yeah, definitely plenty of opportunities for fans to get out and support the game uh, at all levels. Uh, be, uh, once again, I'd be remiss if I didn't even mention the, the softball programs that we have, Wesleyan, CNU, JMU, tons of success over yeah. the past few years as well. Uh, but I'll get you out of here on, on this question. If, if you had to, and this might be a very difficult one to answer, but if you had to, to summarize or describe baseball's history and connection in Virginia, how would you do it? Yeah, I, I'm going to go back to the small town. I, I've told other people, um, you know, if you you could probably do this book for all 50 states. Um, if you did it for Maryland, you know, the, the state to the north, it would be dominated by the Baltimore Orioles. Um, if you went to the south and did North Carolina, um, it would probably be dominated by the textile leagues or, or the minor leagues because they have so many more minor league affiliates. Um, again, I'll go back to the Shenandoah Valley. I mean, with the Rockingham County League being around since 1924, the Valley League being one of the oldest college leagues in the country, I think that's where it sticks out. And I'm glad you mentioned this. You know, I read years ago that because of geography, we don't have a, quote, major league team. And obviously across the Potomac River in Washington is, is, is the closest. But I think I read years ago, Virginia has the highest population of any state in the country that doesn't have a pro franchise. Now, I'm not sure if that's true today, but I think the geography makes it a little bit distinctive. Um, we certainly are close to, to large urban areas, but then you 
go to the Shenandoah Valley, you go to Southwest Virginia, that's where you rely on the small town communities. My mother lived in the Danville, South Boston area for about 10 years. So I got to see Danville play. And so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's what makes is the geography and the small towns is maybe what makes Virginia a little bit more distinctive, say than other States and on the East coast. Great perspective, uh, great insight, great conversation, David. Uh, it's been a pleasure catching up with you, and and we wish you continued success with this book and all of your future endeavors. And thank you for taking some time to join us today. Thank you, Will. And um, again, on behalf of uh, Lacey and Russ, who did our design, another Russ did the cover. I've gotten great compliments on the cover. Um, uh, Russ is up in the Baltimore area. Um, the best compliment we've received is, boy, that doesn't look like it was self-published. So um, <laughs> lo love to hear that. So thanks for your support and, and really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Well, once again, uh, the book is From Tidewater to the Shenandoah, Snapshots from Virginia's Rich Baseball Legacy. It is available wherever books are sold. And you can also follow David on Twitter at Dayton VA Driver, all one word. I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in and those who will listen uh, once we put this up on the podcast. And as always, thank you to our partners, Priority Automotive, Davcon Inc., the City of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, ESPN Radio 94.1, and Davis Business Appraiser. Stay tuned for updates on future hall calls by following the Hall of Fame on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at VA Sports HOF. Once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. The 2023 induction is just 15 weeks away. So whatever you do, participate, don't spectate, and we'll see you next time.